All right, if you have your Bibles, if you come with me to 1 Timothy, um, uh, we're going to look at, uh, we're going to start once again with verse 1, but um, move down to verse 11 this morning. So uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verse 1 through 11. And uh, we got some alliteration going on here, so um, uh, I have fun with it. Uh, hopefully you do too, but uh, let's pray. And, and then we'll look at our lesson this morning. Father, we thank you for uh, your presence here this morning. And Lord, I pray, Lord, as we, as we study your word this morning, that, Lord, that you would uh, speak to our hearts, perhaps in unexpected ways, Lord. And, Lord, that, um, that your word would take deep root within our hearts and our lives and that it would produce fruit that would bring you glory. And, and honor. And Lord, we would find uh, the path for our life, uh, a path that would bring hope and peace and joy in, into each and every part of our life, Lord. And so, Lord, speak to us um, as we look at the scriptures this morning. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. The context, as you know, of First uh, Timothy is the Apostle Paul's writing to this, this young man. Uh, Timothy's probably about 30 years old. And he's instructing him in how to pastor a church. And this morning, in these first 11 verses, we're going to look at that a little bit. Like, what does, it, what does it really mean to pastor a church? I mean, um, so often um, ministry uh, kind of conforms to the expectations of culture. And I've been in gospel ministry for 39 years. I, I, I was thinking about that this week, and I said, oh, my gosh, that's, that's like my whole adult life. And, uh, and I can look back over those 40 years, and I can see, you know, kind of like in 10-year, 12-year segments that of how the uh, identity uh, that's put on a pastor has really differed from, from God's word. Uh, I remember when I... When I first started out in ministry, you, the pastor was supposed to be the counseling guru, you know, that, that everything was geared towards counseling, and you had therapeutic models of, of how to pastor, and then it kind of transitioned into uh, the pastor as CEO, you know, uh, that you're the, you know, you're the executive officer, and you've got to have, you know, your, your systems all aligned, and... and uh, then it transitioned into the, the pastor as the band leader. You know, the pastor's going to be the band leader. Uh, I'm not quite sure what I am today. Uh, all as I know is that we've been fixing a lot of roofs and uh, up at Manchester <laughs> and, and doing a lot of facility stuff over the years. So, so I think that when we look at the scriptures here, they might help us, um, as they've helped me, to shape a really gospel-centered um, uh, identity as a pastor, and it might help uh, answer some questions that you might have, like what, is it, what does it mean to be a pastor? And, and we always end up with a Q&A, uh, you know, at least at the 8.30. So if you have a question, you know, uh, we'll have some time at the end to talk about that. But let's read these 11 verses, and then I'm going to, um, kind of pull out from them uh, what it means to be a gospel-centered pastor 
and, and develop that this morning. So in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. The first thing that we can see of what does it mean to be a gospel-centered pastor is that it's, it's, all, it's very personal. And it's a personal relationship, first and foremost, with Jesus Christ. Is that first, first I am a son. First I am adopted. First I am a child of God. And out of that flows task and identity. And so many times in life, even for uh, participants in a church, if you get task in front of identity, then the whole thing becomes pretty weird. And so as a pastor, the first thing I want to do is to, is to have a deep and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to, my heart to be nurtured by his grace. I want to be growing as a believer in Jesus Christ. And even this morning when, when, I, when I did my devotions, there was an aspect of the teaching that I omitted because it was such a busy week for me. And wouldn't you believe that my devotion this morning had to do with God's plan, which is one of the P's I omitted, God's plan and his sovereignty, is that Timothy's at Ephesus. It was God's plan and God's sovereignty that his place was at Ephesus, that God's plan for Timothy's life was to be in a very, very difficult city, city of about 300,000 people, uh, that was the key city, both economically, pagan worship-wise, uh, in, in Asia at the time. And it was God's place for him and his plan to be at Ephesus. But I get ahead of myself a little bit. And so gospel-centered pastoring is, is, is personal. And out of our relationship with Jesus Christ, we, we find our true identity as people. And so when we're going through life and we become confused, like what is my purpose in life? What is my identity? Our purpose is, is found in who we are in Jesus Christ. And so we're, we're forgiven. We're adopted. We're a child of God. Uh, we have his joy and his peace that flows out of our identity with him. And so if our identity is secure in Christ and we have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then pastoring and living the Christian life flows out of our life in Christ. And that becomes the source of who we are and, and our purpose in life. The second thing that we can see when we look at the text here is that um, Timothy is a place. Timothy is urged to remain in Ephesus. And so the context of pastoral ministry is always found in a place, not a task. So our context, uh, pastoring, my context of ministry, is found in the local church. And so when you go through the New Testament and you can think of Paul's letters, how are Paul's letters addressed? To the church at Ephesus, to the church at Colossae, Colossae to the church at Thessalonica. That's such a cool 
Yeah, it's such a cool name. And when you look at the uh, Revelation 2 and 3, it's to the angel, which some Bible uh, scholars would say, to the angel means what? Angelus means messenger. And 2 and 3, Revelation 2 and 3, what the message is addressed to, it, the message is addressed to the, to the lead pastor, the senior pastor, uh, the minister of that church and those seven churches in Asia Minor. And so ministry and pastoring always takes place in the context of a local church. There's no other place where true pastoring takes place. And we see this, we, we see this, uh, this command that Paul has to Timothy to, to not to leave Ephesus. Now, uh, there's always a temptation in pastoring to leave your place. There's always this. I remember a time in, um, it was 1995, 1996. It was back in the day where you actually, how many people remember reading a newspaper? Like, like yeah, so in 1995 and 1996, I remember many times um, going home on Sunday afternoon and taking out the help wanted section of the Boston Globe and, I, and going through it and saying, Maybe there's a different place for me. But, but it's, the, it's the place, it's the place that brings the maturity, and it's the place where you execute God's plan for your life. It always takes place in place. God's plan always takes place in a pastor's life in a geographical location, which is called the local church. And it, and it isn't always pleasant. That's why Paul says to Timothy, do what? Cross meno. I really command you. <laughs> Paul's exercising his apostolic authority, saying, I really urge you, really command you to stay in that place so that you can grow as a person, as a believer in Christ, but so that the local assembly can watch you grow, watch you demonstrate what it means to be a follower of Christ, and they will have an example to follow. And so all through Paul's writing, he says, follow me as I follow Christ. And in a local church, a pastor, for better or for worse, is a human being, you know, is imperfect, and part of God's plan is to keep you in that place so that you live out, you live out your life in front of people, and and provide an example for them of what it means to be a Christian first and, and a pastor second. And so Paul's heart, um, when we look at place and plan, um, an understanding of the sovereignty of God becomes critical in that. Because if you don't, if you can't trust that God has put you in that place and, and has you in that place, then you're always looking for somewhere else to go. And you're always looking for what can I do to make things work rather than trusting that, that God will make things work. And so in my devotion this morning, you know, I looked at uh, Proverbs 16.9. The heart of man plans his way, right? We talked about this. Uh, Donnie prayed this this morning. 
The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his step, steps. And, and if, if a pastor is going to grow and, and complete his journey, then uh, an understanding of God's sovereignty that you're put in a particular place because of the plan of God, and as you yield your heart to that, God sanctifies you and you grow and you become the person that you're meant to be, but you live that in a fishbowl. And so that's my life. I'm like a goldfish. There's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to go. But it's that process that brings about God's sanctification and brings out leadership for the local church. There's a thing that goes around. It's, we've been exposed to it as a church, and, and we've had difficulties with people that say, well, I don't need to belong to a local church because I belong to the church. Well, that is simply aberrant, and it really reflects a rebellious heart because there's no context in the New Testament where people are not part of a local assembly. I, and I'll give this, um, I'll say this, that I think it was a lot easier back in the early days, Bible times, because there was one church in one city, right? And Ephesus is 300,000 people. And, and we have a witness of just one church in Ephesus. And the reason for that is that if you became a Christian, you suffered for that many times. And many times you lost your, lost your life. Matter of fact, James Barclay, speaking of um, Ephesus, recalls that uh, it was known as the highway of the martyrs in Ephesus. So when Paul says to Timothy, stay in Ephesus. It was costly, but it was his place and his plan for God to accomplish his purposes through Timothy to that local assembly. And so my, my um, encouragement to you is that when you run across these people that feel they don't need to be part of a local church, just understand this, that, they're, that it's aberrant. And it's, there's no witness in the New Testament for it. And it really displays an unteachable spirit. Really displays an unteachable and rebellious spirit. And so Paul urges Timothy. Next thing that we can look at, so you get place and you get plan, is a gospel-centered uh, pastoring is purposeful. Because I, I have two tasks. Now, you might think I have more than that. And... And the leadership definitely thinks I have more than two tasks. But, the, but my two primary tasks are to proclaim and to protect the gospel message. That's what I'm called to do. Now, do I do other things? Yes, I do. Do I do, I do pastoral care and counseling? Do I do hospital visits? Do I do uh, weddings? Unfortunately, I do weddings uh, do I do funerals? I love doing funerals. Funerals are the best because people want to hear the gospel. At, at weddings, it can be nothing more than a dog and pony show. You know, who's the dog and who's the pony? I'll leave that up to you. But it, it becomes pomp and circumstance. And, you know, you, you would like to think you could preach the gospel at a wedding, and I try to, but there's, there's all kinds of different distractions. But at a funeral, right, you get to really preach the gospel. Do I deal with, um, you know, church roofs and, um, yeah, two of them up at Manchester in the last six months. Do I deal with heating systems? Yeah. Seems like Manchester's on my focus. 
Um, but, a, but a pastor in our day is expected to be the, the CEO, is expected to be the COO sometimes. But the true role of a pastor is to proclaim the gospel, which isn't that hard, which isn't that hard. Protecting the gospel, um, it can be a difficult task. What did Paul say to the elders at Ephesus? He warned them, right? I think it's Acts chapter 20. He said, from amongst yourselves, wolves will come. And so to protect the gospel is to, is to insist, and look at verse 11 with me. It says, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, with which I have been what? Entrusted. And so the role of the pastor is to, is to proclaim the gospel and, and to protect the gospel. What's the role of a church member? If the, if the pastor's role is to proclaim and protect, what's the role of, of, of the peeps? Not to diminish your role, but what's the role of the peeps? Support? Yeah. <laughs> Wayne's, Wayne's got it. Wayne's got it. Yeah, so you have to insist upon it. You have to insist that, that the pastor stay gospel-centered. And when he drifts away and starts talking about kayaking and steak tips and all kinds of foolishness, that's where you got to say, hey, the, the, you know, three or four minutes of that is great, but could you please get back to the text? And, and the gospel will always be challenged by false teachers and sinful behavior, always. It has always happened here, false teachers and sinful behavior. And that's, that's what's happening here. So you've got the Judaizers that have come, and they've, they've tried to diminish the gospel by saying, you can achieve a righteousness that's outside of grace. You can achieve a righteousness which is, which, which in the context here, um, following the Mosaic law. And, and Paul says, no, that can never be. And that's not the purpose of the law anyway. The purpose of the law is to declare God's holiness and beauty and also to convict man of sin that they would need a savior. So take a look at the text with me. We'll read through it. It's pretty... It's pretty um, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. And so the word here for doctrine is nothing more than teaching. And so when we look at um, Acts chapter 4, verse 42, um, a proper doctrine or proper teaching is sometimes called the apostles' doctrine or the apostles' teaching. We find a summary of that in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5, where Paul does clearly articulate what the gospel message is. And he says, um, don't let certain persons. And so these persons were known to the pastor. They were known to the church. They were most likely elders who got off the rails within the church uh, at Ephesus. Verse 4, not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. And so we've had that happen um, last summer here, an endless genealogy, a myth, wanting to dissect um, uh, the creation account and coming up with fanciful stories that, although they sound plausible, maybe they are plausible, but they're not part of the scriptures and they're not part of the witness that we receive from the Lord. And so 
when people go in that direction with endless genealogies and, and speaking of things that, one, they know nothing about, and two, is not in the Word of God, then what it produces in the life of a church, it produces what? Doubt, it produces quarrels, it produces confusion. And so Paul says to Timothy, don't, don't go there. He says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's what good doctrine produces. If you're preaching the word of God, it's going to produce agape. It's going to produce love. If you're, talking, if you're talking about Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done, what you're going to find is you're going to be confronted with your own selfishness and your own need to grow because Jesus is, is the example of laying down your life for other people, and that's what we're called to do. And so that preaching the gospel brings forth a change in heart and sincerity and brings forth agape. We continue. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So just because someone's just because someone can get up here and, and come across as, as authoritative and they're, they're composed and they've got great language, if it, if it is contrary to the gospel message, then it needs to be called out and abandoned because it'll only, it will not produce Christ-likeness. So Paul gives, brings his uh, kind of charge to Timothy to a close. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. So what are the lawful purposes of the law? To speak of what? God's holy his holiness, his character, his beauty, his grace. It is to convict man of sin so that they would seek out a Savior. So that's the use of the law. Uh, uh, verse 9. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the law lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, and what he's going through is the Decalogue here, for, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexually, homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else. <laughs> Here's the catch-all. And whatever else. And at least he missed something. Is whatever else goes against sound doctrine. And then he speaks of the glory of the gospel um, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And so what Paul lays out for this young man, Timothy, he says, Timothy, you have two, you have two primary uh, tasks, and they are to proclaim and to protect the gospel. And that task flows out of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the best thing in ministry, and the best thing for the pastor of a church, is to be growing in Christ. And the best diagnostic of that is, tell me about, tell me about your personal relationship with Jesus that no one sees. So the public ministry, the thing I do on Sunday morning, is the easiest thing. I get to do a nice outline. I get to look at it. You know, I get to practice it a little bit. Um, and then I get to kind of share with you 
the gospel and encourage you in the things of the Lord. That's the easy part of pastoring. The hard part is my own heart. The hard part is what happens in secret, not what happens in public. In public, I can turn out okay. Take a shower, put a shirt on, you know, dazzle you with my tie collection. Um, that's the easy part. The hard part of being a pastor is what happens when no one, no one, it happens in the secret place. And so um, you may have a lot of expectations for me uh, to be this thing and that thing, um, but when we look at the Word of God, what we see is that the primary uh, uh, task of a pastor is to, is to proclaim and protect the gospel, which will, which will always need proclaiming and which will always need protection. Amen? So if you have a question or a comment, I'd be glad to, to engage in that with you.